The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye and Andrew Gross. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. Well, it's been two years since the wildfire that scorched Fort McMurray, and now new research suggests, likely not surprisingly, that the fire has had a major impact on the mental health of many of its residents. Uh, Vincent, uh, Vincent Adjapong, a psychiatrist and U of A professor, joins us now with the details. Doctor, thanks for taking the time. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. Now, you were working in Fort McMurray when the fire hit the city. Take us back to that day for you. Well, uh, it, it was just a very quiet, ordinary day on the uh, 3rd of May. Uh, I, I do remember I was in a clinic, and my secretary approached and uh, indicated we had to close shop because the, uh, there was an evacuation order for the city. It came as a surprise. Uh, I just stepped out of the office and uh, saw everywhere was kind of in flames. Hmm. And uh, I quickly went to the the hospital, helped with evacuating patients who were airlifted to other facilities and uh, had to evacuate myself to the northern uh, uh, part of of, of the north zone. And subsequently, I lifted to Edmonton. So I was very much a part of the evacuation, and uh, I did see the the kind of human suffering and the kind of destruction of firsthand during during the time of the evacuation. So I have to ask, you returned, obviously, and then decided to take a closer look at mental health impacts. I have to ask you two two questions. Did you consider not returning, first of all? And number two, upon your return, what made you want to start looking at mental health impacts specifically? Well, I think for me, uh, I actually uh, secured a job in Edmonton as the Edmonton Zone Clinical Section Chief for Community Mental Health about a month prior to the fire. So I was kind of in transition out of Fort McMurray Mm. before the wildfires happened, but I did have an uh, arrangement with the health authorities to continue providing uh, mental health services intermittently until a replacement uh, was found. So it wasn't a question of abandoning the city because the fire had happened. It actually strengthened my resolve to uh, be in Fort McMurray in the long haul, even though I was uh, technically uh, given up my full-time practice in Fort McMurray. And then why the uh, why the mental health uh, study? So uh, whilst living in Fort McMurray over the three years, we had actually uh, been involved in a number of mental health studies, uh, the most prominent of which was the Text for Mood project, which I'm sure you probably heard about, where we kind of uh, came out with a system of sending supported text messages to patients who were seeking psychological help. Mm-hmm. So on foot of the success of that, we wanted to broaden our research activities into primary care. And I've actually teamed up with three family doctors before the fire happened, and we are going to look at some determinants of mental health concerns in patients attending primary care. So when the fire happened, we reconvened and we said, this is probably an opportunity to look at something different, look at the mental health effects of the wildfire, because, I mean, most people that were presenting 
to primary care were actually experiencing psychological trauma from the effects of the wildfire. So we kind of changed focus and uh, uh, put together a study to look at the mental health effects of the wildfire. So what did the survey ask, doctor, and what kind of response did you get? So the survey consisted of a, a set of standardized instruments as well as some basic or demographic uh, questionnaire which looked at you know, the respondents' social demographic factors. It looked at their living situation before and after the fire. It also looked at, you know, kind of exposure-related factors as to, for example, whether they uh, physically were present in Fort McMurray and saw the burning of homes. You know, it looked at other factors, for example, how frequently they watched television or read newspaper articles related to the wildfires. It also looked at their clinical history, you know, whether they had a pre-existing mental health condition, and also looked at support that was available to them. So, for example, it looked at, you know, uh, how much support they received from the Red Cross, from the government of Alberta, from insurance companies, as well as, you know, from family and friends. And, and then what did you determine from the answers? So we, we kind of found out that the prevalence rate for, you know, the most common mental conditions, the first of which is a major depressive disorder, was around 15%. Hmm. We found the rate to be high in female compared to male. Uh, it was 17.1% in female compared to 10.4% in, in their male counterparts. We also found very high rates of post-traumatic stress disorder uh, at six months, uh, we uh, the rate was 12.8 percent. It was 15 percent in female compared to hmm. about 8.7 percent. Wow. Similarly, for anxiety disorder, it was very high at around 20 percent. So, we also found very high rates of, you know, like substance use disorder, alcohol use disorder, and hmm. nicotine dependence as well. I, I think that, you know, some people would listen to this and go, okay, well, th- that shouldn't be really all that surprising. Um, I, I mean, the numbers, you know, they're, they're high, they're higher than, than, than average or dramatically higher than, than average. But um, given what the, the folks in Fort McMurray went through, is it a surprise that the, the numbers are that high? Well, it's not a surprise. It's kind of uh, very much consistent with our previous studies. Okay. For, for example, if you look at you know the California wildfires of 2003, researchers uh, found about 33% of those who actually were in uh, the area of the wildfires actually meeting the diagnostic criteria for a major depressive disorder. Similarly, there was a wildfire, you know, in Victoria. They call it the Black Saturday wildfires, and they studied the mental health effects three to four years after the wildfires and still found about 12 to 19 percent, sorry, 12.9 percent, you know, prevalence rate of major depressive disorder in the residents of Victoria. So it wasn't very surprising. Okay. So, Doctor, the study also looked at what kept people resilient, um, and I thought that was an interesting point. What did it find? Well, the most significant finding from our study was the importance for friends, family, and the community to uh, support 
of people who've been impacted by the wildfires. We found that, for example, for major depressive disorder, if we compare those who reported that they received absolute support from family and friends to those who said they did not receive any support from family and friends, those who did not receive any support from family and friends were about 13 times more likely to present with a likely major depressive disorder. Mm -hmm. Similarly, those who did not report, who reported, you know, they did not receive any support from family and friends were about 10 times more likely to present with symptoms which were consistent with a post-traumatic when you ask the question, doctor, about support, did it uh, break down the type of support, whether it be financial or just emotional, for example? Well, that, that's why we looked at support from the Red Cross, because we know the Red Cross was providing financial support. We know that the government of Alberta also issued, you know, uh, payments to all residents of Fort McMurray. So everybody received financial support. We looked at support from the insurance companies because they provided material support. But we're looking at support from family and friends, and we kind of uh, believe, you know, uh, we're looking more at emotional support. That's interesting for a study of this nature to be able to extract financial support from it. That's very important, right? Because that's uh, if everybody basically that becomes a constant. If everybody basically got the financial support they needed, because one would assume the kind of support that you would give to uh, the victim of a tragedy would be financial support. Yes, but our study really found out there was no difference really in terms of you know the likelihood for people to develop a major depressive disorder or PTSD six months down the line on the basis of, you know, receiving financial support from the Red Cross, insurance companies, or the government. The single biggest protective factor was support from family and friends. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, I, I want to ask before we let you go, what is the accent? Is that West Africa? Yes. <laughs> Ooh, nailed it. Ghana. Ghana, yeah. yeah, all right, interesting, um, Doctor. And do we, and just before we let you go, though, um, so how do you how do you believe that this study can be used moving forward? You know, in case another community suffers a, a disaster, where do you think that you can take this and they can learn from it? Well, I think it's important. You know, it's it's very good for the media to share this very interesting and positive results. You know, with with all our veterans, with all Canadians. And really, through this publication, we are hoping to share these very interesting results with the international community to the extent that if there are future tragedies happening, it may not be wildfire, it may be floods, or it may be, you know, some people getting involved in accidents. Support from family and friends are usually very protective against immediate as well as long-term mental health effects. So we are not saying that financial support is not important. It probably is. And if probably people did not have the financial support, then that would have been an important consideration. Hmm. So on top of every financial support that the government and you know, municipal authorities and insurance companies can be able to offer, it is important always for communities to pull together. It is important for friends, family, and, you know, uh, neighbors to actually reach out and support and provide emotional support 
for people who've been affected by, by any form of tragedy. Dr. Ajapong, thank you for joining us this afternoon. We appreciate it. Thank you very much. Uh, well, Jayla and I, a couple of things I wanted to get out of the way before the 3.30 news. First of all, today is National Cat Day, so let's throw that out there. Uh, happy National Cat Day to everybody. And apparently many of you own a cat, by the way. Uh, 44% of Isn't people... is every day National Cat Day if it, you have well, a cat? Well, if you're a cat, it is. is. <laughs> <laughs> 44% of people say they own a cat. 14% of people say they're a cat person. Um... 35% love both cats and dogs equally. Uh, but something else I thought I would just throw out there mm-hmm. and then escape uh, out to the patio to uh, <laughs> to get away from the backlash it may cause. But we have an election coming up. It's going to be held provincially mm. before May 31st of 2019, right? Mm. So we know that's coming. So I thought I would just throw this out there. It's my own personal view of things. Um, and you can tell me, I'm, you can just ignore what I'm about to tell you. Um, you can just discard it as unimportant information. It's just my thing. So as we come to an election, because you and I work on a talk show, and I know that it's going to be the topic of many of our shows and that we're going to have lots of feedback and people texting us, it, it, not so much rules, but kind of just guidelines I thought perhaps I'd put out there for all of us. First of all, when it comes to an election at any level, popular vote means nothing to me. It doesn't matter to me. Um, that somebody is anticipated to win a majority or somebody else is anticipated to be thrown out of office or what, doesn't matter. That in no way affects my opinion, and nor should it affect yours. You should actually do the research and find out which candidate and which party best represents your interests. I tend not to listen to anyone's opinion. And why are we having this? I, I just want to put it out there because I don't want to put it out once the election's called because it's going to get really scrambled. <laughs> okay. I'm just something okay. to think about. Uh, all right. All right. Okay. I tend not to listen to any black and white opinions. If all one party does is good or one party does is bad, I feel like you haven't used enough critical thinking because there isn't, we don't live in black and white, we live in gray, and so do political parties. And then the other thing is, you have to keep in mind, and I do, or at least I feel like you should, that if you don't like something that a particular government did, or if you love something that a particular party promises to do, you have to remember that it's rare. And I can give you lots of examples where a new government comes in and actually gets rid of the stuff you didn't like. Uh, income tax, UIC, GST, think about those. Other parties ran on the proposal that those were unpopular decisions. We're not going to, you know, we didn't like them and we got to throw these people out, but we still have income tax, UIC, and GIC, G, uh, GST. So if you're hoping, for example, and again, I'm not telling you how to vote. I don't care how you vote. Vote with your heart and your brain. Uh, if you're thinking that, well, you know what, let's get rid of these NDP and get the uh, whoever in, and then minimum wage will go back to... No, it won't. No, it won't. Because governments, when they change, have the advantage of uh, throwing the other guys under the bus. You know, uh, they let them fall on the grenade and go, well, they increased minimum wage. How can we roll it back now or whatever? So don't expect a big change just because there is change. And I would say to anyone running for office, please tell us what you're going to do and not what the other party isn't going to do. Well, I think, you know, right now that's the biggest thing. I'm, I'm, I'm fed up of hearing, um, you know, oh, this party is blah, blah, doing this, this, this. And that. Mm-hmm. No, no. Tell me what you're going to do. Exactly. Tell me what you're going to do to change that, to make it better, to whatever. That's what I want to know. I don't want to sit here and listen to you 
uh, yes. crab all day about the other party. I want to know what you're going to do. Exactly. And for the listeners who will text us, and we encourage you to at 6.30, <laughs> anytime at all, if we could avoid, because we're always talking about civil uh, discourse and, uh, and about keeping it, you know, taking the high road. I will tell you just personally, and I speak only for myself, the second I get to the word that is an insult, um, you know, or in any way, uh, you know, just, I, I can't think of one that I can say on. Snowflake. Yeah. Uh, like anytime you're calling somebody a name. Her, whatever. Right, all of those exactly. things. Exactly. I stop reading. True dope. Exactly. Whatever. Stop it. Because I, to be honest with you, and again, speaking only for myself, people who I, who rely on silly name calling, that should have ended in grade three or yeah. four, right? If you can't have uh, a conversation without resorting to the lowest exactly. common denominator, exactly. which is name calling, then, you have then we no can't point. have an intelligent conversation. Exactly. Exactly. So there, we've set the ground rules moving forward. I'm sure election's going to be called at some point, and then things will take off. Rachel Notley declaring her candidacy over the weekend. So, uh, Yeah, what, um, I was like, really? Was there any question that she wouldn't? <laughs> no, I think it's sort of like, is there any question that I'm picking up the bill when my family goes out to dinner? No, but I still have to do it. <laughs> so she did it. So things will shape up, and, and we'll see. It's going to be a busy year next year because we're going to have... Uh, yeah, the two elections. That's right. And, uh, you know, as I always say, and as you always say as well, Jayla and I, just to, to add to our list, uh, please, I beg of you folks, do not get your information on any topic from memes. So, because you know they're going to be out there and, you know, there's going to be declarations that Trudeau's going to do this or, uh, you know, Jason Kenney wants that or, you know, whatever. Don't get it from memes. You can get ideas from memes, like see a meme and go, Jason Kenney's going to separate from Canada. Okay. Let's Google that and see if that's true. That's all I ask. The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye and Andrew Gross. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad.